0: Log Talk Radio. Kingway, Fox Beerlock Lock is acting very weird. Captain Pike, Bristol's wife, Klingons and the
1: afterlife. Boimler, Murder, dog, Ransom is very harsh. Four drive, Black
0: Alert, Giorgio has gone berserk. Peter, Batman, Edward is an idiot. Is dead. Wolf is check
1: wearing red. Zeta's
0: cat, that. You that enough of that? Beat me up, make it so. Everybody, let's go. We talk about, about the series. You join us live by picking up your phone now. We talk about the series. We're coming to on you We talk about the series. Comic, cooks, and cook games, we're going on the show now. We come to the power series. Come and tell us as we get in chat and we go on and on and on and on. Welcome to the Trekies and, and well, Trekkers around the globe. It is
2: 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and that means it's time for another awesome episode of Track Talkin', episode 350 to be exact. And that seems to be a magic number because We've got some really great news, some really exciting things are going on around Trek Talk, and um, we'll fill you guys in on them once they become more finalized, and we have some particulars, but it's some great news. It's really exciting, and hopefully by next week's show, episode 351, when we talk about Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, by the way, we'll be able to get this information out to you guys, and you can share in our excitement. But I'm really, 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 really uh, psyched, really stoked about it, And I can't wait to talk to you guys about it. But getting back to tonight, we have a great show planned for you guys tonight. We're going to talk about Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. So if that's one of your favorite Star Trek movies, you want to hang around and join us for this conversation. Also, Gates McFadden talks about Star Trek Picard Season 2. Shatner says, what? And uh, Discovery Wins, Strange New World, also has a director for Episode 2, Star Trek Birthdays, Around the Globe, fan shout-outs, and our top cities as usual. I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, and with me as usual are my spurts. We'll start off with Eric. He's out in Portland. How are you doing tonight, Eric?
1: Oh, man, it is a nearly perfect day here in the beautiful Northwest. It is 75 degrees, 32% humidity, mostly sunny. There's a gentle breeze blowing, and I'm... I've got Jasmine in my mind. No, sorry. I've got Star Trek in my mind. Star Trek in my mind. Ready to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all?
2: And we also have with us Charles. And Charles is out in Las Vegas. That's an awesome city. How you doing tonight, Charles?
3: I'm doing good. It's an awesome city. It's also a very hot city. Poor Southwest is starting to cheer our summer already. At least I'm in, I'm in. At least I'm in the part of the town that won't see simple digits today. The parts of town may see a hundred degrees.
0: I'm only about
3: ninety-six, ninety-seven, with a little bit of a breeze, maybe. Well,
2: I'll tell you what. It's perfect up here in Vermont. It's a nice sixty-six degrees. Beautiful. It's going to be a nice weekend at camp. I'm going to be on Mark B. Lee's show on Friday night uh, about 7.30 to 8 o'clock. He's going to interview yours truly, so you guys want to tune in for that. It's going to be fun. I've known Mark for years, so it should be a lot of fun. And, yeah, so we're going to dive right in tonight. Guys, if if you'd like to call us, our phone number is the same as it's always been. You should have it on speed dial by now. Uh, 646-668-2433 is our studio line. We'd love to hear from you. You can head over to Facebook, by the way.
0: Uh,
2: Our Facebook page has changed. Our Facebook address is now Trek Talking a Podcast instead of and beyond. I felt a podcast was easier and smaller. Uh, So I, I wanted to change it to Star Trek, but someone had taken that name. So Trek Talking a Podcast is our new Facebook page. Well, same page, new address. So you guys can find us there. You can join our family. Uh, we have 50,711 followers. We'd love to add you to that list, and uh, no matter from where you're from. And Eric, speaking of followers on Facebook, why don't we go around the globe with our numbers? That is an
1: excellent idea, Jim. I mean, these 50,000 people have to come from somewhere, and about three-quarters of our listeners come from the United States, but that leaves – all the rest as international listeners, and so our number one international listening country this week, holding on to that number one spot, is the UK with 5.51% of our listeners. That is just still really impressive. You'll remember they climbed for weeks and weeks and weeks. Uh, they're down just a tick from last week, but, you know, still very strong at five and a half percent, so thank you folks from the UK. We love you all. Uh, in our number two international slot, we still have that's right, the folks down under Australia with 4.06% of our listeners. That is up just a teeny, teeny tick from last week. So, you know, we really appreciate all of our listeners down there in the southern hemisphere, especially the ones from Australia. In that number three spot, we have Canada with 2.89% of our listeners holding steady our brothers and sisters to the north. Thank you. And hello, GM Chris. In our number four spot, we have Norway. That's right. Uh, Yeah, Scandinavia made it into our numbers months ago, and here they are holding steady, Norway, with 2.11% of our listeners. And finally, rounding out our international top five, we have Germany with 1.24% of our listeners. Thank you so much to each and every one of our listeners, both international and domestic. We seriously, seriously appreciate every single one of you We love doing this podcast, and we love having people all over the globe that listen to us. So
2: ah, thank you so much. And I want to give a little shout-out to our German listeners. I know one of our listeners in Germany is the awesome Laura Dre, formerly of the Intergalactic Officers of Evil. She just put out her very first album, uh, Moving Spaces, and you guys can go on YouTube and you can find that. And download that on Spotify and help Laura out. We, I think, you know, we'd love to appreciate that and, and help her out. So please check out her new single. And this is
3: a, a little section. That we, go check her website yeah. because she's doing pre-orders for albums, CD, and cassette, and and oh, digital. Cool.
2: Cassette, I love it. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually ordered the uh, the blue album. And uh, I asked Laura if she could sign it for her favorite bad Klingon, Uncle Jim. So I'm pretty excited about that. So uh, <laughs> listen, guys, we added a new a new segment to our show all about two weeks ago. And these are the top cities where where our our um, our Facebook fans come from. So uh, Charles, what, what's going on in our top cities this week? We got a little bit of mo a little bit of movement going on.
3: Well we got movement again. As we did a couple of our favorite cities, Portland, Oregon, dropped from twenty first down to twentieth. Uh Las Vegas, Nevada moved from eighteenth to now nineteenth. San Pablo, Brazil moved from ninth down to tenth. Taking its place with San Antonio, Texas which last week was 10, this week is 9th. I think they flip-flopped last week. And our rest of them are Brisbane, Queensland, Australia, Chicago, Illinois, Toronto, Ontario, Canada, Los Angeles, California, Melbourne, Victoria, Australia, Sydney, New South Wales, Australia, London, United Kingdom, and New York City. Wow. New York I love that there was
1: there's two Australian cities and one UK city that come in above Los Angeles. That's amazing.
2: Yep Yeah. I think it's kind of cool that we have one side of the country in New York and the other side in Los Angeles. So we're literally coast to coast.
0: In Chicago's that top five. Kind
2: of
1: and up. yeah, we picked up Chicago in the top ten, so that's pretty good. Top three or top three most populous cities, I believe, in the United States still, although Houston's probably gaining ground. But, yeah. Yeah,
2: that's pretty cool. So uh, we also like to give out individual shout-outs to fans that stop and say hello on our Facebook page. You guys can do that by going to Trek Talking, a podcast on Facebook. you see the Live Long and Prosper. And just drop us a line and tell us where you're from every week. We pick 15 lucky fans, and we give them an individual personal shout-out right here, right now on this show. And we love that next person to be you. So, uh, Eric, who are we starting off with this week?
1: Well, our very first fan shout-out goes out to a fan from Athens, Greece. We're saying hello and thank you so much for listening to our good friend Demetrius Eldar Exopolis. Uh, all the way from Athens you know that is one of those cities that I have never been to that I really really want to go to as an architect uh, you know obviously cradle of western civilization there uh, there's some really cool stuff so Demetrius uh, I want to come see you in person thank you for listening <laughs> we're also saying hello to our top fan AD Eastham, from Ferrest North of Scotland uh, that's pretty cool one of those folks from uh, that part of the world. It's so cool to have you here, and she's a top fan, so, uh, you know, interacting with us a lot on our Facebook page. So, hello, Adi Isam. We're also saying hello and sending out a big thank you to Renee Krieg from Germany, uh, from a city called Duisburg. I have, I'm not familiar with that city, but I feel like I need to look it up now. Uh, so, thanks for listening, Renee. Uh, we're also saying hello and thank you so much to Noor Afandi Sidek from Selangor, Malaysia. I think not our first Malaysian hello, but uh, one of very few. So thank you for listening, Moore. And my final uh, shout-out this week goes to Trin Marie from Memphis, Tennessee. I have some good friends down in Memphis and uh, love that city. Obviously love the music. And I have to say, uh, I've, I've been to Graceland. Uh, I've been to Graceland. I like it. So hello, Trin Marie. Charles. Who is on your
0: list this week?
3: Well, let's start off right off with David Townsend from Sarasota, Florida. It's kind of warm in Florida right now, but Dolores Highcock-Merle from Arizona. I wonder what part from Arizona. I spent a couple of years there. Just outside of Phoenix. Dan Rocky. It is Brisbane, Queensland, Australia, one of our top ten members, Cynthia Hosman from Alaska, oh, beautiful country, Alaska, Andrew Lee from Norfolk, England, and I bet Jim's got some traveling to do as well.
2: Yeah, I'm going to bop around the globe here with my five fans. We're going to start out by uh, saying uh, hello and thank you to Robin Swales from Auckland, New Zealand. Thank you for listening, Robin. We're also saying hello and thank you to Ed Anderson from Warren, Pennsylvania. We're saying kapla to Ann Underwood from Mississippi, M-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-P-P-I. Mississippi, Mississippi, represent. Thank you for listening, Ann. And... Top fan, Sergi Dario Bosco from Argentina. And last but definitely not least, we're going to say, Kapla, live long and prosper to Amar Soss from Holland. Great, great to have all of you guys listening. And, uh, again, if you would like to hear your name mentioned on a fan shout-out, just head on over to our Facebook page. Uh, the address has changed just a little bit. It is now it is now Trek Talking A podcast and tell us where you're from and if you have the heart next to your name that means I've chosen your name and you want to tune into the next show and hear your name and this is the part of the show where we do our Star Trek birthdays <laughs>
4: That was not a Klingon song.
2: So we always start out our birthdays with remembering those of our Star Trek family who are no longer with us, and for that we turn to Eric. So, Eric, who are we who are remembering tonight?
1: Well, we have quite a few folks we've lost over the years who would have had birthdays this week. Our first remembrance goes out to the actor Roger Perry who played Captain John Christopher in the TOS episode Tomorrow Is Yesterday. Uh, You'll remember him as one of those Air Force pilots from that time travel episode where the Enterprise uses the, uh, what do they call it, the the time breakaway factor or something like that. Um, Great uh, actor in that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Great actor in that episode. Uh, Obviously, one of the linchpins of that episode. Uh, And uh, we say happy birthday and send our remembrances out to Roger Perry. We'd also like to say uh, happy birthday and uh, send our love out to John Lormer, who played Tamar in the TOS episode Return of the Archons, and Dr. Haskins in the TOS episode The Cage you would uh, absolutely recognize this gentleman. Uh, he was uh, a little aged in both of those episodes. Um, gray hair, uh, you know, he plays kind of uh, the, the main male Baden uh, in uh, Return of the Icons. And, uh, of course, uh, you know, he's got a major role in The Cage as well. So happy birthday and uh, sending our love out to John Lormer this week. We're also saying happy birthday and sending remembrances out to Kevin Peter Hall. He played uh, the character of Laor in the TNG episode, The Price. Uh, Laor was and a Caldonian. Yeah.
0: Yes. Go ahead. He James.
2: also, our fans might remember him from a little movie in the 80s with Arnold Schwarzenegger called Predator. He played the Predator. He also played Bigfoot in Harry and the Hendersons. So I yeah. thought I would just throw that in there. <laughs> Which I
1: love. I love Harry and the Hendersons. That's such a fun, fun movie. And, uh, you know, one of those actors who can just get done up in all sorts of makeup and, uh, and stuff and still do their job. Uh, amazes me. <laughs> Anybody who can do that. So, uh, happy birthday and, uh, and really nice work to Kevin Peter Hall. Uh, we're also sending out uh, happy birthday remembrances this week to George Coe. He played Chancellor Avell Durkin in the TNG episode... Uh, first contact that, of course, is not the movie, but the episode uh, where Riker has been changed, uh, you know, altered, and uh, he's supposed to be sort of surreptitiously uh, seeing what's going on down on the planet. Um, Anyway, uh, this gentleman, Leor, is one of the major characters, uh, or excuse me, not Leor, uh, Chancellor Abel Durkin is one of the major characters played by George Coe. Uh, We're also sending happy birthday and remembrances out to Mary Esther Denver, who played one of the three witches in the TOS episode, Cat's Paw, Uh, one of those episodes you either love or hate. Uh, But she was one of the three witches and just did a great job in that role as well. (laughs) Uh, Happy birthday to Benjamin Lum. Uh, He played Engineer Shimoda in the TNG episode, The Naked Now, which uh, I always liked that episode. I was going to say I always like that episode because um, you know it ha- it's kind of a continuation of a of a Tos episode in some ways. Um, what were you going to say, Charles?
3: And the like engineer number one. Yep,
1: exactly. Uh, he our first, our you know, for, our
3: one of, our first of several engineers or second. Engineer.
1: What were there? I think there were like seven in the five or seven no. in that first season, we something had like five that.
3: Five in the we had. Five, four, Four or five in
1: the first season, and we got Geordi in season two. Yeah. Well, Jim Shimoda was one of those engineers. So uh, happy birthday to Benjamin Lum, who briefly got to run the show there. Uh, happy birthday and uh, remembrances also going out this week to Sebastian Tom, who played the Samurai Warrior from the TOS episode Shore Leave, one of those uh, – you know, fun episodes and uh, <laughs> pretty convincing Samurai Warrior in that one. So happy birthday uh, to Sebastian. We're also saying happy birthday to Norman Lloyd, who played Professor Galen in the TNG episode, The Chase. Happy birthday to Stephen uh, Inhut, who played Garth of Izar in the TOS episode, Whom Gods Destroy. Uh, one of... I don't know, one of my favorite episodes because it is just so, I think, anti-federation in some ways. I mean, there's, there's you've learned that there's this kind of mental penal colony and this guy who's really kind of crazy, uh, who is, uh, of course, played by Steve, um, you know, sort of takes over the show uh, as Garth of Izar. So just a fantastic job in that role uh, and one that I definitely remember from the TOS episodes. Uh, so happy birthday to Steve in heart. And uh, our final remembrance this week goes out to Merritt Buttrick. Uh, he is the gentleman who played David Marcus, uh, Kirk's son in both Star Trek 2 and 3. And he also made his way into TNG's symbiosis, playing the character of Tijon, uh one of those folks who uh, sort of zaps Riker in that uh, first season episode. Uh, Sucks his, uh, doesn't suck his life for us, but well, if you haven't seen the episode, I don't want to give it away, but it's, uh, it's kind of a cool episode, and, and one of my little highlights from the first season, uh, I would say. So, happy birthday to Merritt Buttrick, definitely one of those uh, Star Trek actors that you would recognize. So, Charles, would you like to proceed with the folks who are still with us that have birthdays this week?
3: Uh, I sure would. Let's start off with Joan Swift, who played Audrey Lynn Kirk in the QS episode, Operation Annihilate. David Hurst, who played Ambassador Hoden in the QS episode, The Mark of Gideon. Greg DeCroft played Mickey D in the TNZ episode, The Royal, as we know when they go down the planet. It's you know, great. I got to tell you,
2: I got a funny story about that episode because don't I always have stories? <laughs> so mm-hmm. well, a friend of mine got a job working on Star Trek The Next Generation as a writer. And Karen and I flew out to Los Angeles, to um, California, actually, to the set. And they were filming Star Trek VI, so it was a closed set, so we couldn't get on. Too bad. But we were walking around... Uh, in, in Hollywood and we go into this place called Fud Ruckers where they the hamburger joint in Hollywood. And we go in there and who do we see in there? We see the lady that blew on Data's dice from the Royale episode of T N G. Just just hanging out in there having a burger. And I thought that's the coolest thing. So yeah, it's my little Star Trek story. Alright, sorry to bother you. Go on, Charles. I oh, that was a good one.
3: Yeah. April Grace played Ensign Maggie Hubble in TNG in about six episodes, one of our short-term background characters. Tina Phillips played Valara Sewell in DS9 a Storyteller. Robin Groves played Laura Garant in Voyager's Emanuel. Emanation. emanation, 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 and Jim saved me a couple of good ones in here. Mm-hmm. Eugene Cadora, uh, Cadero. Cadaro, he's like, wait a minute, a Who was who is that? Well, we know as and Sam Rutherford in Lower Deck.
0: Great character. This one I'm
3: shocked when yeah, great character. I mean, one of my he's favorites. favorites. And this one, I'm surprised. I was gonna put that but we have a, we don't have an actor on the bottom of my list. We have an author. Well known for many of Star Trek and Sci Fi books, including one of our favorite desperate hours, author David Mack. Happy birthday.
2: Yeah, we, we, we have on the
3: show. On. Yep. After we read the mm-hmm. book, and you guys well. on Book
2: Nook, yep, you yep. guys can check that out. It was a really, it was a lot of fun to talk with him, and it was a really good book. Uh, actually, I've enjoyed all the Discovery books so far. They've all been outstanding. Una McCormick's new book, Wonderland, is going to be coming out, and that's going to tell the story about what happened to Michael Burnham the year that it took Discovery to catch up with her. So we're going to definitely yep. – Definitely read that and review that one and try to get Una McCormick back on the show with us now that this COVID stuff is coming to an end. And anyways, listen, believe it or not, we have to take our first commercial break of the evening. Hard to believe how quick the time flies. I've still got a lot of great birthdays to go through, and Eric has one very special birthday as well. So listen, guys, run. Don't walk to the bathroom and get right back here. And whatever you do, Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back after we hear from
4: Freakopolis Geekery. This podcast is brought to you in part by the Freakopolis Geekery, the premier upstate New York comics and game shop. Centrally located between Saratoga Glens Falls, Ticonderoga, and Rutland, Vermont, the Geekery is a haven for pop culture and science fiction fans. For Star Trek fans, the Geekery features board games like Ascendancy, as well as awesome gaming titles like Star Trek Adventures RPG from Modiphius, Star Trek Away Team Zero Clicks, and of course, Star Trek Attack Wing ship-to-ship tactical combat for the tabletop. The Geekery hosts casual play sessions, learn-to-play sessions, and sanctioned organized play tournaments with limited-edition prize support. You'll also find comics and trade paperbacks at Freakopolis, including Star Trek titles from IDW. Lots of issues are in stock, and special orders are no problem. Whether you visit in person by shuttlecraft or beam in online to freakopolis.com, you'll find yourself right at home at the Freakopolis Geekery. And
2: we're back. We're right in the middle of Star Trek birthdays. And uh, Charles just finished up David Mack, one of our favorite Star Trek authors. And I'm going to pick up the list and say happy birthday to John Rashad Kamal, who played Commander Sonak in Star Trek The Motion Picture. He was only there briefly. He melted away in a transporter accident, but uh, still, he, he's pretty cool. Happy birthday! We'd also like to say happy. This is this is strange because it's the same episode we already talked about. Happy birthday yeah. to Salam Jens, <laughs> who played the ancient alien in TNG's episode "The Chase." But I think most of you will know her as the female changeling on Deep Space Nine. Same actress. From Amazing. Amazing. It's role. funny that we had two from the same episode, too. That's
1: pretty cool. But it was, and 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 a relatively, like, not a main episode, not one that you go to, right? I love that.
2: Yeah, it's just kind of strange. I would also like to say happy birthday to Richard Real, who you're going to say, huh? Well, he played Dr. Jeremy Lucas in the Enterprise episodes The Augments and Cold Station 12.
4: Uh, he
2: also played Seamus uh, in the Voyager episode Fairhaven, but I think most people will know him from his TNG appearance as Bataille in the episode The Inner Light. So happy birthday to Richard. Pretty cool episode. Actually, they were all pretty cool episodes, but I think Inner Light is the one most people would remember him from.
1: Yeah, I was going to so, say, Inner Light was, is probably one of the best. And I will say that Fairhaven is one of my favorite Voyager episodes. It's one of the ones where Janeway gets to finally like loosen up a little bit, which is very nice. And Seamus is one of the characters that kind of helps her
3: do that.
2: Well, oh, you know what's funny? Uh, I was living in Fairhaven, Vermont when that episode aired, and when I was watching it, <laughs> it was called Fairhaven. And I was living in Fairhaven, Vermont. And that was pretty cool. Perfect I would also name. like to say... Yeah, it was. It just it was just funny. I also like to say happy birthday to Nancy Howard, who played Ensign Samantha Wildman in eight episodes of Star Trek Voyager. Happy birthday to Nancy. Um, okay, <laughs> I like to say happy birthday, <laughs> <But you're> Jim. <laughs> I, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher, I'll before, Let you me apologize.
1: I, I think I know, but I'm not sure.
2: <laughs> let me let me apologize before I butcher this. Um, I'm going to give it my best, my college one-two. Sore Agadushlo. Is that right?
0: I think you're close.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I,
1: I would say think... Shore Agdashlo. Agdashlo. Yeah, Sore okay. Agdashlo.
2: And a lot of people know her um, from uh, – um, what's that other show that's on the Sci-Fi channel? Can't remember the name. There are many. Anyways, doesn't matter. Uh, we're saying happy birthday to her. Oh she's oh, I know Commodore. she's on the expanse,
1: yeah, She plays the, uh, the Ex- she yeah. plays the uh, the president of the or not the president, but the um, like the prime minister for the first like four seasons or something. She's amazing.
2: That's right. She's on right, the expanse. But we're gonna say happy birthday to her because she plays Commodore Paris in Star Trek Beyond, a movie that Charles and I talked about last week. And I wonder, any any uh, relation to Tom Paris in that Kelvin universe? Hey. Perhaps.
0: Hey.
2: Never know. Uh, the next one we'd like to say happy birthday to Meg Foster, who played Anya in the DS Nine episode "The Muse," but she was also in one of my favorite movies, uh, "They Live," which which I just love that movie, John Carpenter movie, and. Um, she kind of was a double-crossing traitor in that movie, and she gets what she deserves. Uh, so, yeah, happy birthday to her. But she was also in another one of my movies. It's one of my guilty pleasures. It's right up there with
0: Flash. Ah!
2: And I'm talking <laughs> about T-Man and the masters of the universe. She played Evil Lynn. And, and just oddly enough, um, the guy who played Tom Paris um, is also in that movie. So, yeah, I just wanted to throw that in there. Yeah, pretty cool. And um, uh, there's another guy in that movie, too. Well, let's not get off track. So happy birthday to Nick Monster. <laughs> uh, we also want to say happy birthday to Amy Wheaton. Yes, that same Wheaton that you're thinking of. She is Will Wheaton's younger sister. She played Tara in the TNG episode When the Bow Breaks. That's the episode where the kids from the Enterprise were being beamed away. And uh, they took Wesley, which well, he wasn't really a kid. He's more like a teenager. But at any rate, Amy is mm-hmm. his sister. Happy birthday to Amy. And I got some good ones here. Jennifer Hetrick, who played Vosh in the TNG episode Captain's Holiday and Cupid. And she reprised her role in DS9 episode Q-List. Great character, great foil. Wow. I so think, good for yeah. Jean-Luc Card. Well, and
1: I, I still wonder if she's got a part to play because uh, you'll remember that in those last episodes that we that are listed there, particularly Cupid, you know, there's she leaves and with and and, Q has rightfully recognized that she is the one thing that can kind of. Crack the the armor of Jean Luc Picard, right? <laughs> so I almost wonder if she's still got a role to play in Picard somewhere. If she did, that would be amazing. Along with John Delancey, of course, who we know we're getting.
2: Yep, and we know we're yeah, we know there's a couple coming back too. We'll have to wait and see. And uh, my last birthday uh, that I have is Sonia Sohn. Who played Gabriel Burnham Michael Burnham's mother In Star Trek Discovery A.K.A. the Red Angel uh, Originally the Red Angel Before Michael became the Red Angel And that wraps up my birthdays But there's one left We have one very special birthday Eric, why don't you take care of this one for us
1: We're going to play the song, Jim?
2: Yep, I'm going to play the song All right
3: well, well, a In
0: the alley you looking for a fight. There's an
3: Arab on the corner By
1: and everything inside. With another mouth of feet, you everywhere every way you look today is
0: misery and greed.
3: I guess you know the earth is going to crash into the sun, but that's no reason why we shouldn't
0: have a little fun. So if you think it's scary, if it's more than you can take, just blow out the candles and have a piece of cake. Happy birthday! Happy birthday to you! Happy birthday! I would
1: would like to send (laughs) out a very, very special greeting to the most important person in my life, personally, whose birthday is today. Um, She is somebody that I have known for upwards of 20 years or so, and I have been lucky enough to call her my partner for the last 16 years. That's right. I'm sending out a happy birthday to my wife, Karen, uh, who is having her birthday today. And after this podcast, we are going to go downstairs and stuff our face with delicious Italian food, which is her absolute favorite. So happy birthday, Karen. I love you so much, and thank you so much for supporting all of the weird stuff that I do, be it games or Star Trek or uh, this podcast, frankly. Uh, (laughs) I love you so (laughs) much, and uh, happy birthday.
2: Happy birthday, Karen, and thank you for sharing Eric with us. We appreciate it. (laughs) Uh, And that brings us up to Star Trek news. Priority
1: one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel.
2: Incoming transmission.
1: Enter authorization code. Command codes verified. Define parameters of program.
2: Level nine authorization required.
0: Specify parameters. Transfer of data is complete.
2: And Eric, you got our first story for the night, so what do you got for us?
1: Well, I love leading off the top of the order with Shatner Says, what? That's right. Just when you (laughs) thought uh, you knew where Shatner was going, he takes a hard left and gives us a little bit something extra. Star Trek legend William Shatner shows Star Wars some love, gets fans hopeful about joining the franchise. Of course, everyone knows that May the 4th has become a revered holiday of sorts for Star Wars fans on the internet, and it's caught on so much to the point that even one of Star Trek's biggest names couldn't resist getting in on the action. William Shatner posted a message showing his support for the franchise, and now there's some hope it means he's looking to get involved with the franchise. For those who missed the message, William Shatner's tweet was short and sweet. He wished Star Wars fans well, and even included an image that can Perhaps best be described as a boomer meme? It says, Perhaps Ooh. exclamation point. The images of William Shatner dressed in Jedi robes. One fan gently reminded William Shatner that he wasn't part of the franchise, to which the actor quoted Spaceballs in a very interesting way, as Dark Helmet would say, Not mine yet. William Shatner uh-huh. is not a part of the Star Wars franchise. This jokey tweet implies that there's still time for him to get on board. Given that Star Wars universe is going full throttle on television projects, there's no shortage of opportunities to potentially join him up. Could this all be a subtle tease he's about to voice a character in something like Star Wars The Bad Batch or maybe even appear in a live-action series? If William Shatner did join the world of Star Wars, he wouldn't be the first Star Trek actor to do so. The likes of Simon Pegg, Brent Spiner... And even Shatner's former co-star George Takei have played parts in both franchises. And there's plenty of room in Hollywood to do both. I love it when Shatner just sticks himself into a situation and is like, hey, 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 by the way, uh, just to let you know, I'm available.
0: <laughs>
1: That's awesome.
0: <laughs>
1: uh, I'd love to see him in Star Wars. Why not, man? That would be super cool.
2: That would be cool.
3: All right,
1: Charles, why don't you carry on our news stories, a little Discovery news to back it up.
3: All right. Star Trek Discovery Season 3 gets a limited edition Steelbook Blu-ray this summer. CBS Home Entertainment Paramount Home Entertainment announces a free date for the home entertainment release of Star Trek Discovery Season 3. This collection offers fans all 13 episodes of the Paramount Plus series, arriving on Blu-ray and DVD July 20. So it's season three is the highest rate discovery season yet. Fans enjoy all 13 episodes
4: with a fourth
3: disk for this collection, packed with over two hours of special features, including producer interviews, writer's logs, and behind-the-scenes moments. Stunted, features the interview with the cast and the stunt coordinator, Christopher McGuire. Fans get behind the scenes look at the creation of stunts. Seeing Michael Burnham, exclusive. an equal Martin Green takes fans on her season-long journey as Michael Burnham with her personal record. Michael, to boldly go, you a man behind the massive discovery, and that's Michael. Is unveiled as Aurelio in the third season, featuring cast and crew interviews. His emotional and intimate look touches on Tennis life with ALS. Discusses on camera for the first time. If you can sure that, highlights how Tennis wheelchair there, was included for his on-screen character, his own take on various he roles he played, discovery and what those roles the show, building bridges, fans have been intrigued by search. Search at Discovery Bridge Crew for season three. Now they can immerse themselves in all things crew-related behind-the-scenes look, showcase the characters, the actors, and who brings them to license. And writer's log, Paradise excuses. Sir Ronald Michael Paradise provides. A personal log about the shooting at the beginning of the season three in Iceland. Season one and two of Star Trek Discovery are currently available on Blu ray and DVD and are available on Paramount Plus, distributed by Viacom CBS Global Distributing Group on Netflix in 188 countries and in Canada on the Bell Media, CBT, Sci Fi Channel, and OTT Services Press Service Craze. And produced by CBS, Television Studios, Association of Television, Hideouts, and Bay Hideout Entertainment. uh Star Trek, Blu-ray, and DVD are presented in widescreen form. Excellent. And Eric, I think it's going to visit one of our up-and-coming shows.
2: Yeah, I'm pretty excited about this one too. I'm,
1: uh, I'm frankly surprised Jim gave me this one because I think he's pretty stoked about this show, Star Trek: Strange New Worlds. That's right, Major Vervilo set to direct episode two. This year is looking to be pretty busy for one of Paramount Plus's Star Trek, uh, or, for, or for Star Trek, Paramount Plus's Star Trek universe. And one of the shows in particular we're keeping an extra eye or two on is the upcoming Star Trek: Strange New Worlds. Director Maja Vervelo tweeted that they would be helming the second season's episode sharing a look at a laptop screen and a clapboard for the episode. Vervelo is no stranger to the Star Trek universe, having directed episodes of Discovery, including Die Trying and Perpetual Infinity, Picard, Broken Pieces and the Impossible Box, and the Short Treks episode Runaway. Star Trek Strange New Worlds also stars Babs Olusanmukun, uh, Christina Chong, Cecilia Rose Gooding, Jess Bush, and Melissa Navia, and begins with a premiere written by Goldsman from a story by Goldsman, Kurtzman, and Lumet. Goldsman, Kurtzman, and Lumet will serve as executive producers on the project, alongside Henry Alonzo Myers, Heather Caden, Rod Roddenberry, and Trevor Roth. So they are plowing full steam ahead on Strange New Worlds, and I'm
0: pretty excited about that.
1: I think it's going to be good. What you got, Jim? Hit
2: it. Uh, I'm looking forward to that, too. I can't wait to start talking about Strange New Worlds. Um, I wonder if Anson Mountain is going to be at the Star Trek 55-year mission in Las Vegas. I wonder. I'll have to look into Probably, that. Yeah. Anyways, Anyways, yeah. my mind is drifting. My mind is drifting. So uh, we got some Star Trek Picard uh, Season 2 news. Uh, unfortunately, LeVar Burton's. Jordi LaForge will not be appearing in Picard season two. Uh, I know that's a letdown for a lot of people. A uh, Star Trek Picard season one featured some familiar faces from the franchise past, reuniting Stuart with several of his next generation co stars. They included Brent Spiner, Data, Jonathan Frakes, William Riker, and Marina sirtis diana Deanna Troy. All of their appearances were well received and many have begun to wonder who could join for Season 2. The first trailer for Star Trek Picard Season 2 already confirmed the mischievous Q, played by John DeLancey, will appear, and Stewart personally invited Whoopi Goldberg, guided the cameo on the show last year. In short, there will be more figures from TNG popping up on Picard, and yet, for all of those who will appear, there are others who won't. This includes LeVar Burton as Geordi LaForge, the chief engineer of the USS Enterprise D. Burton recently appeared on the View and spoke to Goldberg about Star Trek when Goldberg asked him if he would be joining in Patrick Stewart, uh in card season two. Burton replied I can say unequivocally that I am not doing season two. That's Pretty cut and dry. Mm -hmm. Still, one can hope that as long as Picard is on the air, there will be opportunities to reunite the Next Generation crew. Additionally, Burton already has a television gig lined up in the next six months. He'll be guest hosting on Jeopardy. Uh, So I just want to say one thing here. I think that the way they introduced Riker and Troy on Picard Season 2 was outstanding. It's one of my favorite episodes. What did you think about Riker and Troy on Picard, Karen? Did you like that episode? Yes,
0: yeah, good. Yeah,
2: that was one of my wife's favorite episodes as well. And I, I think it was very tastefully done and it just flowed. It fit right in with the story. It didn't feel like it was stuck in, it didn't feel forced, it didn't feel like a cheap ploy to get fans to watch. And I think if they keep if they pop in too many guest appearances and they don't do them right, like they did with Riker and Troy, I think they run the risk of coming off as cheesy and, 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 and campy. What do you guys think?
1: Well, I do think that's
2: true, Jim.
1: Yeah. I mean, I do think they have to be careful how they introduce these characters. I mean, I think that having Riker and Troy there as kind of a, an oasis where Picard could go to, you know, figure out what he was going to do next uh, in the Picard show made a lot of sense and it was a nice way to very calmly check in with those characters uh, without, you know, too much action. I mean, obviously we've got a little more action out of Riker later, but, um, you know, one thing that I just have to say about this is after reading Last Best Hope, I was really hoping LeVar Burton would be in season two. I really wanted there to be a post-Mars uh, being attacked story about Geordi um, Because that is just one of those hanging things out there that I'm just like, okay, we know from the book that Jordy survives. Where is he? What's he doing? And Jordy was always one of my favorite characters from TNG. Uh, I just loved him for so many reasons. So I'm a little disappointed he's not in season two. I'm also a little disappointed that Gates McFadden is not in season two. Um, I guess if there was one character I thought they'd bring back for Picard, it's her. Um, But maybe season three? I don't know. We'll see. What do you think, Charles?
3: Yep, we've got that quite a few seasons we could probably get from Ricard, and we could pull people in slowly
0: and kind of maybe do
3: some throwback episodes to who we're missing. But I think they've got a storyline they're really working on, and I think it's going to be a very Q-centric One, so... I think they've got a real defined story they're working on now. Maybe they can start working on some of the some of this past coming in later on in other seasons. But I think yeah, they I mean, pretty it's a pretty good direction what they want to do with this one.
1: I think you're right. And, I, you know, I guess That's one of the really things is. that uh, I was just going to say that they that I don't want to dig into it too deeply, but one of the things that they kind of leave from season one is that Picard is still left Kind of without out an anchor at this point. I mean, I think that maybe Rafi and the crew are supposed to be his new anchor. I just wonder if some of his old crew could have provided a little bit of uh, assistance in that direction as well, particularly Gates McFadden. But we shall see. But I
3: think the, I think they had an idea in their story when they invited Whoopi Goldberg in early, and yeah. I think they didn't want to admit it that if they're they, were, they were inviting they were inviting Diane and to go with So I think we mm-hmm. got an interesting story coming with that.
2: And I do want to before we move on, because I don't want to spend too much time, we got a lot to talk about, I do wanna say that that Lavar Burton was very coy. He said, I unequivocally am not appearing in season two, but I want to point out to all of our listeners that they're filming season two and season three at the same time. <laughs> so he said he wouldn't be in season two. He didn't say anything about season three. I just want to throw that out there. Charles, what's our next story? This is one that we that got bumped from last week.
3: Yep. Well, I had something I wanted to talk about last week. By the time CBS reportedly sees Star Trek Prodigy as a gateway to toys and theme park attractions. The story of Star Trek? Prodigy actually began back in April 2019 when CBS announced they were working with Nickelodeon, part of Viacom, to develop a new show for a kid oriented cable network. The re merger of Viacom CBS followed earlier earlier this year as was announced Prodigy would first debut on Paramount Plus. Streaming service to sit alongside the rest of the new Star Trek Universal show. While this appears to be just smart, forfeit synergy, Variety is reporting that there's a lot more going on behind the scenes. Boggy's position as the first Star Trek series, strikingly designed to see the kids and families, has been emphasized frequently, the through, and via the producers and star Kate McGrew. Who will be reprising her Star Trek Voyager role of Captain Janeway as the emergency training hologram? Apparently, this appeal to families is seen as
0: important to her
3: which makes sense as the new and younger fans to help to ensure a longevity. No tie-in merchandise for prodigy has been announced so far, but with the show set to debut later this year it sounds like there are plans in place with some releases likely before the important holiday season. As for a theme park attraction, it would be welcome return to Star Trek France franchise. Currently, the only Star Trek the attraction is Operation Enterprise
0: logo coaster
3: at Movie Park Germany. And at one point, there was a video game it was a uh, VR
0: right? and I
3: know Dave and Buster's has had that one. I'm not sure if it's still out there or not. Yeah, that was fun. Well, I think it would be that an interesting a idea year. to get some more Star Trek merchandise out there and get some Star Trek action going on. Because we really haven't Absolutely. had a Star Trek theme, themed events since uh, Lost. Since the uh, Las Vegas show used to be here, I think it's amazing to see what they might do with Star Trek in this and getting merchandise back out there.
1: I had no idea there was a Star Trek roller coaster out there. That's wild.
3: Well, when was the last time you were in Germany? Yeah. (laughs)
1: Never. <laughs> would love to go, though. Would
2: love to go.
1: Lots of great listeners in Germany.
2: Yeah, we do have a lot of listeners in Germany. Do oh. So, you want uh, to talk about uh,
3: Gates McFadden?
2: Yeah. So, uh, my story here is how Star Trek The Next Generation vet Gates McFadden would feel about Beverly Crusher returning for Picard Season 2. Gates McFadden, who played Dr. Beverly Crusher across Star Trek The Next Generation and a handful of feature films, is gearing up for the premiere of our new podcast, Gates McFadden Investigates. Who do you think you are? As actors like LeVar Burton are put on the spot about whether or not they'll be involved in the new season, I felt it was only fair to put the same question on beloved Star Trek actress Gates McFadden, to which she said, you know, things shift all the time, nothing definite yet at all. I think that the pandemic really threw things for a loop because of how many people can be in a scene at the same time to shoot. They had a much, much, much later start date uh, than they thought. So, no, I don't have any news on that front. I would love to do it. I think Patrick and I have great chemistry. But, you know, we'll see. It's really up to Patrick really at this point. Plans shift all the time with TV depending on so many factors. There are some shift in writers for the show, and some things change. I don't know what's going to happen. It does sound as though something may happen, hypothetically, but in the works for Beverly Crusher on Star Trek Picard. Unfortunately, the pandemic messed up many productions, schedules, and timelines. And with Picard's filming starting in season two happening much later than originally planned, the most important takeaway here is that Gates McFadden is down for Star Trek Picard appearance should Patrick Stewart and the crew want to include her. She also noted that she appreciates the support from the fans who undoubtedly want to see more from Picard and Crusher's relationship, to which she said, I am very pleased that people, at least certain people, want to see me on the show. That makes me feel great, obviously, but we'll see what happens. So I guess we'll see is is the right answer. So uh, we're going to take another quick commercial break. We have another story to talk about, Star Trek Discovery, and then we're going to jump into Star Trek Six. So run, don't walk to the bathroom, and please don't touch that dial. We'll be right back after this really, really important message.
4: Trek Talking, all things Star Trek and beyond. Thursday night, 7.30 to 9.30, all hailing frequencies are open. iTunes, iHeart, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, and wherever fine podcasts are found. Trek Talking, boldly going wherever your mind is willing to go. And we're
2: back. Eric, we've got our final story for the night, and it's about Star Trek Discovery.
1: Yeah, excited to wrap up with some Discovery. Star Trek Discovery wins three Costume Guild Awards. Third season of Star Trek Discovery jumped the show into a whole new millennium, handing a lot of new challenges to the costumers. And now they're being recognized by the peers for all their work. The Canadian Alliance of Film and Television Costume Arts and Design held their annual awards show. Discovery going in with six nominations. Head costume designer Gersha Will, uh, Phillips and her team came away with three prizes, making them the biggest winners for the evening. Gersha and her team took home the award for Best Costume Design in TV Sci-Fi Fantasy for her work in That Hope is You Part 1. <clears throat> Discovery beat out competition from Altered Carbon, Snowpiercer, The Expanse, and Odd Squad Mobile Unit. Gersha accepted her award from the set of Star Trek Discovery. She thanked the members of her team, CBS, Secret Hideout, the writers and producers, and the cast. Discovery costume cutters Tanya Banato-Shiku, Carla Mindigari, uh, Ryan Smith, and Gulai Kozgekin won for Excellence in Crafts Building for their work in That Hope is You Part 1. They beat out competition once again, from The Expanse, Odd Squad, Mobile Unit*, Snowpiercer, and Altered Carbon. Discovery FX costumers Ray Wong, Haley Stoley Smith, Blake Highland, Andrew Cook all won the award for excellence in crafts, special effects costume building for their work in People of Earth. They beat, beat out costumers from Umbrella Academy, American Gods, Odd Squad, Mobile Unit*, and The Boys. The Motion Picture Sound Editor's Golden Reel Awards, which were held on April 14th, uh, Star Trek Discovery and Star Trek Picard went in with a total of four nominations in total. Star Trek Picard, supervising sound editor Matthew E. Taylor, and his team won in a tie with the Queen's Gambit for Outstanding Achievement in Sound Editing, Episodic Long Form, Effects Folly. Picard actually beat out Discovery for the Golden Reel Award Along with Better Call Saul, Devs, Ozark, and Raised by Wolves. Our final bit of awards nudes comes from the official Paramount Plus Star Trek uh, site after show uh, hosted by TNG vet Will Wheaton. The Ready Room has been nominated. That's right,
0: nominated,
1: woohoo, for a Webby Award in the video series variety category. It's going up against Good Mythical Morning with Rhett and Link, Project Runway After Show. Open Door for Architectural Digest, and Late Show Me More. You can vote for The Ready Room at WebbyAwards.com, and I absolutely think that every single Star Trek fan out there should go to WebbyAwards, W-E-B-B-Y, Awards.com, and vote for The Ready Room because, honestly, that show is awesome, and any more well-beaten I can get, I'm happy to get.
2: Yes, in the words of Sheldon.
0: <laughs> 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 I just so, wanna hang out with that guy, man. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I had him at a Star Trek convention uh way back in the day and he was he was really cool. Uh, I would tell you the stories but we don't have time right now. Maybe maybe in another show. So, guys, our phone number here is 646-668-2433, and we're about to dive into Star Trek VI, the undiscovered country. And just to wet your whistle and get you in the mood, here's the original theatrical trailer for Star Trek VI. Maybe. There we go. Live radio. you got to
4: love it. <laughs> The Klingon Empire has 50 years of life left to it.
2: To offer Klingons a safe haven within
4: Federation space is suicide. They're animals, Jim. They are dying. You, Captain Kirk, are to be our first olive branch. Me? The galaxy stands at a crossroads. This is the Starship Enterprise. We've been ordered to escort you to your meeting on Earth. Guess who's coming to dinner? I have so. Wanted to meet you, Captain. One warrior to another. Right. On the verge of peace. The undiscovered country. The future. On the brink of war. We come in peace, and you blatantly defy that. We haven't fired. According to our databanks, we have. I shall blow you out of the stars. Now, the crew of the Starship Enterprise. Will not be the instigators of full-scale war on the eve of universal peace.
0: They're coming about.
4: Battle Fights not to win battles. Incoming. Signal our surrender. Captain. We surrender. But to end them forever.
0: We would consider an attempt to rescue them an act of war.
4: There will never be a better time. This is Captain Sulu, USS Excelsior. Is Jan ready to assist you? This is fun.
2: You do prefer it this way, as it was meant to be.
0: Warrior to warrior. You cannot take much more of this. I have a... to you. And let's put the
2: dogs of war. Fire.
4: Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. Star Trek
2: VI, The Undiscovered Country was directed by Nicholas Myers. It's the final film featuring the entire cast of the original series. Initially planned as a peak role for the original series, with younger actors portraying a crew of the Enterprise while attending Starfleet Academy, but the idea was discarded because of negative reaction from the original cast and the fans. Faced with producing a new film in time for Star Trek's 25th anniversary, Meyer, who previously directed Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan in 1982, and Denny Martin Flynn wrote a script based on a suggestion from Leonard Nimoy about what would happen if the wall came down in space, touching on the contemporary events of the Cold War. Principal photography took place between April and September of 1991, Their production budget was smaller than anticipated because of the critical and commercial disappointment of Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. Because of a lack of soundstage space on Paramount lot, many scenes were filmed around Hollywood. Meyer and cinematographer Hiro Narita aimed for a darker and more dramatic mood, subtly altering sets originally used for the television series. William Shatner as James T. Kirk. Shatner felt that Though dramatic, the script made Kirk look too prejudiced. Leonard Nimoy as Mr. Spock thought the mission to be his final as a Starfleet officer, and he begins training Valoris as his replacement. DeForest Kelly played Dr. Leonard McCoy. Kelly's appearance as McCoy in the Undiscovered Country would be his last. With Leonard Nimoy, the film's executive producer, the 70-year-old one Kelly was paid $1 million for the role, assuring a comfortable retirement for the actor. James Doolin played Montgomery Scott. Scott discovers the assassination clothing hitting in the dining room shortly before the two men are found dead. George Takei and Azikaru Sulu, captain of USS Excelsior. Despite having taken his own command, Sulu remains loyal to his old friends aboard the Enterprise. The undiscovered country marks the first canonical mention of Sulu's first name, which was first mentioned by Vonda McIntyre's novel, The The Entropy Effect. It was included when Peter David, author of the film's comic book adaptation, visited the set and convinced Nicholas Myers to insert it. Walter Koenig as Pavel Chekhov finds Klingon Bud by the transporter pads, leading Spock to widen his search of the ship. Michelle Nichols as Uhura. Uhura was supposed to give a dramatic speech in Klingon, During the film, but went way through to production, the speech was scrapped as a scene where Uhura is speaking garbled Klingon while surrounded by books was added for extra humor. Nichols protested the scene, wondering why there would still be books in the 23rd century, but accepted the change since it would be the last Star Trek film she would appear in. Being African-American, Nichols was uncomfortable with the scene of some of the dialogue's racial undertones. Nichols was originally to speak the line, guess who's coming to dinner, as the Klingons arrive on the Enterprise. Nichols refused to say the line, which was given to Koenig's character in the final print. Nichols also refused to say the line, yes, but would you like your daughter to marry one, meaning a Klingon, and it was dropped from the film altogether. Kim Cattrall as Valeris. Valeris became the protege of Captain Spock, who intends her to be his replacement. Initially, the character of Savick, who appeared in the second through fourth Star Trek films, was intended to be a traitor, but Gene Roddenberry objected to making a character loved by fans into a villain. Cottrell was unwilling to be the third actress to play Savick, a part she had originally auditioned for, but accepted the role when it became a different character. Cottrell chose the eris element of the character's name for the Greek goddess of strife which was vulcanized by the addition of The Vow at the behest of Nicholas Myers. During filming, Cattrouse participated in a photo shoot on the Enterprise Bridge, where she wore nothing but her Vulcan ears. Nimoy personally ripped up several of the photographs when he learned about the unauthorized photo session, because he feared harm to the fan tribe. Christopher, A late Christopher Plummer played Chang, a one-eyed Klingon general who served as Gorkin's chief of staff. Plummer and Shatner had performed together in various acting roles in Monterey. Meyer wrote the role for a plumber who was initially reluctant to accept it. The Undiscovered Country was released on December 6, 1991. To promote the film and the 25th anniversary of Star Trek, Paramount held marathon screenings of the previous five films in 44 select U.S. theaters and Canada. The 12-hour showings also included footage of The Undiscovered Country the day before the film's release. The core cast was induced, was induced into Grauman's Chinese Theater and signed their names at Hollywood Boulevard. Nimoy, who had earlier requested a million dollars to cameo on The Next Generation, appeared in the two-part episode Unification that aired during November of 1991 to increase interest in the feature film. Roddenberry did not live to see the film's release, Dying of Heart Failure, on October 24, 1991. The film's opening included a note to Roddenberry's memory. At early showings, the crowds of Star Trek fans applauded very loudly. We're almost done. Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country was released on December 6, 1991. It garnered positive reviews with publications praising the lighthearted acting and facetious references and performed strongly at the box office. The Undiscovered Country opened in 1,804 theaters in North America and grossed $18 million in its opening weekend. The showing was a record for the film series and was a top-grossing film of the weekend. The film grossed a total of $96 million worldwide. The Undiscovered Country's strong showing was one of the big successes of 1991. The film was nominated in sound effects, editing, and makeup categories at the 64th, Academy Awards. The film also won the Saturn Award for Best Science Fiction Film, making it the only Star Trek film to win the award. The film's novelization by J.M. Dillard was also a commercial success, reaching the publisher's weekly mass-market paperback best-selling list. And Charles, what did our fans have to say about Star Trek Six, The Undiscovered Country?
3: All right. Well, on a 1-10, John K. Underleaf gives Christopher Plummer, deserves an Oscar nod, giving it a 10. Jesse Crawford ties with Rathacon as the best start this movie. First contract comes in a close second. Easily a 10. Top fan Jeanette Frost gives it a 10. William Phillips. I only drop a point because the score was to the door to door for the movie. I thought Jerry Gold Goldsmith or James Horner, oh, Horner would have composed something more fitting the final movie with the original cast. Giving it a nine. Top hand Paul Smith. Nicholas Myers made two of the best starts movies, giving it a ten. Tracy Turner agrees with that tent, and I still have, I still have tears every time the tree signs off. Matthew Johnson. Needless, needed more Sulu and Excelsior. Also, Pep Pink Blood, giving it a nine. Top fan, Vicky Gage gives it a nine. Chuck Xavier. If only a row, row, row your boat scene, it would have been a solid nine, only giving an eight out of ten. Douglas Taylor, I want to lower, I want it lower for the height. It seems aware of itself. It knows it's the last film of the visual cast. Of course, they are simply telling the story. Often there are moments meant for a finish to others. Commentary is often overlooked for any anything threat, giving it a seven. You our fans' the overall opinion was a nine point
0: two.
2: Not too shabby. So, uh, Eric, you want to start out? What did you think about Star Trek VI: The Undiscovered Country? Yeah. Uh,
1: so. It was really fun to rewatch this movie. I've seen this movie probably second most times to Wrath of Khan, and then probably first contact after that. And those three movies form my top three of all Star Trek movies personally. Um, I put this as kind of my my third top. I think the story in it is amazing, and I love the story. And frankly... I really like the way that they bring out Kirk's racism toward Klingons. Um, we know that he's kind of always had that deep within him. We had the events of Star Trek Two II and III, uh, which were still weighing pretty heavily on him by the time we got around to Star Trek Six, even though it was several years later. So I really like that they played Kirk the way that they did, and I think it allowed them to kind of push forward the plot and, and have moments, for example, when uh, Valeris is able to capture his personal log and then it gets used against him during the trial. Um, I think that's a super powerful moment. And, and their trial uh, in front of the Klingons, I think, is one of those moments that, you know, if you're, if you're thinking only like a human, you think, oh, my God, these Klingons are bad guys. Look at the ridiculousness that they're doing. But if you're thinking like a Klingon, you're thinking to yourself, oh, my God, we finally got this guy who has caused us so much trouble. We have this society that has always hated this guy. We are going to throw the book and everything we can at him. In fact, we're going to make it so bad that we're not even going to kill him. We're going to send him to the penal asteroid of Aurora Pente, which is supposed to be kind of a fate worse than death. So I really really dig the whole trial scene um, and the way that Kirk has played in that and the way that his own words are used against him. I think that's pretty strong. Uh, you know, I guess some of my other highlights, I mean, I could talk for a pretty long time. I don't want to take all the all the air time, though, because there's plenty to talk about here. But a couple of the things that I think are, are pretty cool about this movie. Um, did you... I, it's funny, I noticed this the last time I watched it, but I wanted to bring it up uh, upon this reviewing. Did you guys notice uh, that Spock references who one of his ancestors is during this movie? Do you remember the scene? I, I'm putting you on the spot just a little bit. If you don't remember, that's okay. But he, nobody's jumping in, so here's what I'll say. He says a line where he says, as one of my ancestors used to say, and then he gives the line about when all the logical you know, options have been uh, explored, then it's, it's only the one that's left over. And so I think the implication of that line is that one of Spock's ancestors is Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who wrote the Sherlock Holmes novels. So I think connected back through his mom somehow. I don't know if he's making a joke about him being an ancestor or if he's being serious, but either way. I thought that was kind of a funny moment that that made me smile um, on this reviewing. And, uh, you know, I'll hand it over to to my good friends here in a minute. I guess the last thing that I just want to say is that uh, there are some things that Jim was reading out there about this movie that I couldn't agree with more. Um, The guest who's coming to dinner reference, uh, I do not blame Michelle Nichols one bit for not saying that line Um, if you don't get why that line is off-color, you know, the movie Guess Who's Coming to Dinner is all about uh, Sidney Poitier, a black man, coming over to a white family. Uh, And it's actually a really good movie, and you should go watch it. But the implication in Star Trek VI is that, oh, the Klingons, look look who's coming to dinner here. So you can can kind of extrapolate and see why that may not be accepted by a lot of people out there. So I'm 100% on board with her there. Um, you know, it took us till Star Trek Six, the very last movie, to learn what Hikaru Sulu's first name was. That seems excessive. That's almost as bad as not promoting Harry Kim for seven years in Voyager. And then I will say the last thing that uh, is very uncomfortable for me in this movie. I love this movie, guys. I really do. There's so many good things about this movie. So much humor. So many the camaraderie comment that was made earlier is totally true. Sometimes they throw away plot for camaraderie, Uh, but I will say that the Valeris scene, where Spock extracts information from her brain via a mind meld, is very uncomfortable to me. Um, He's like ripping information out of her brain in front of everybody, and it's obviously not very pleasant for her. She's crying. She looks like she's in distress. Spock is obviously in distress after he does it, but you know, supposedly he I guess he does it for the Federation, for King and Country, so to speak, but pretty uncomfortable scene in this movie. So despite those things that I didn't like, despite the fact that I think there's a little off-color stuff in this movie, overall, I really like this movie. I think it's got a lot of good things going for it, and I do think it's one of the strongest Star Trek movies. What do you think, Charles?
2: Well, before, before Charles... Well, before Charles oh, jumps in, because no. we've only, we got a couple seconds, we, we, we almost got to cut for a break, and I hate cutting Charles off to cut to a break. So I'm going to jump in here for a minute and a half, and then we're going to go to a commercial break, and we'll cut back to Charles. I want to take this, this minute and a half here to just say that opening night of Star Trek VI, I went with my, all my friends down in Albany, New York, a Close personal friend of mine, Kate Adams, who was a nurse at the time, was divorced and had a 13 year old son by the name of Josh, and Josh wanted to go see the movie a second time with us because we went to the nine o'clock show. So I told Kate, well, yeah, that's not a problem. Josh can come and see it with us. We'll go out. We'll get some pizza, Pizza Hut, and he can spend the night at our house with Karen and I, and I'll bring him home in the morning. So Kate said, that's great, no problem. We went to see Star Trek VI twice on opening night. Kate left to go home. Uh, On our way back to my place, we saw the police on the side of the highway, uh, fire trucks and ambulance. They were searching, they were big search going on, and we're like, well, that looks like Kate's car, but that that can't be right. And we went, had our pizza, played some foosball, went to bed. And then around three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning, My phone rings, and it's the state police, and they're asking me, do I know where Josh is? And I said, yeah, he's sleeping downstairs. And uh, they told me that there was a car accident, and Kate had gotten out of the car as a nurse to help the people, and a car came down the highway and killed her, and she was dead. Oh, no. And they, they thought Josh was with her. And they'd been searching for him all night long. They thought he ran away scared. And uh, the police wanted me to wake him up and tell him. And I'm like, this was a much, I mean, I was in my 20s. I'm like, I'm not waking up a 13-year-old kid and telling him his mother is dead. I can't handle that. So um, they had Kate's sister, who didn't live too far from me, come over. And pick up Josh and I just wanted to take an opportunity um, that I've every time I see this movie I think of Kate and Kate was a wonderful person and She was kind-hearted and caring one of the nicest people you would ever want to meet and um, I, I miss her every day and I wish that Kate was still around to see how wonderful Star Trek has turned out and uh, How great her son is so I wanted to throw that in there as a little remembrance to Kate. And, um, yeah, I just wanted to tell that story because it's important to me. So we have to take a commercial break. When we come
0: back, though,
2: we're going to hear what Charles thought about Star Trek VI, what I thought about Star Trek VI, and we're going to wrap things up. But first, we want to hear about the production of Strange New Worlds. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back after this quick message. Maybe. Maybe space the final frontier
0: these are the voyages of the starship enterprise its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life
4: and new civilizations to boldly go where no one has gone before that's right
2: production is officially underway on the all-new star trek series
4: strange new world i'm just so excited to say those words stepping back onto the enterprise will always feel like a dream come true To
0: sit there and to look around and to see
3: everything, it felt so real and it was so magical.
4: It looks like it could take off.
3: Such a surreal moment for me that I will remember for a very long time.
2: On a scale of 1 to 10, I would say it's like a 705.
3: So get ready for the voyages you have been waiting for.
2: We've started. We're in Toronto.
4: We're in production. Here we go.
2: back. We're talking about Star Trek 6, The Undiscovered Country. Our phone number here is 646-668-2433. And Charles, I, I hated to cut him off, but we only had about a minute and a half there. I wanted to squeeze in my little a little remembrance for Kate. And now we're going to hear from Charles. Charles, what did you think about Star Trek 6, The Undiscovered Country?
3: Well, even though I don't think Jim was going to, at least this time he didn't take away any of my any of my, any hits my points in the movie okay I know you two are rather high in this movie I'm not big a fan of Undiscovered Country I'm a little more on four and two but then I've got a lot of special memories dealing with four but having Valerius as the secret enemy spy to the ship <laughs> have a Vulcan kind of do that was kind of a little unsettling that she would just would do that to the ship. That she sit there and take suggestions to sacrificing Federation for this one. Now, this story has an anything tie-in to other theories. We talk about what happened to the to the Klingons and what happened to theirs, even though did we ever get anything happening fifty years later? Either you, either not you to, know.
2: Not not to the Klingons.
3: Yeah, because like, hmm. oh, the Klingon homeworld's gonna die in fifty years. And it never died. I think that's well, kind of a bit
2: we, of a we, whole... Well, this is this is a this is one of the. I'll I'll, I'll talk about it on my turn. Go ahead.
0: Yeah. yeah. Go ahead.
3: Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, we have discussed. I think previously we have discussed whether Balkan can have mind. Ma- uh, somebody could have a mind meld done to them without their approval. <laughs> And that that's definitely, you've had that conversation before about whether it's voluntary or not and whether it's right, right to be able to give that to somebody. And definitely to this person, it was a painful experience for a Vulcan to have this information ripped out of her. I think Sharon's definitely got a lot of the memorable lines In this one. I think Eric would agree just because of loving a lot of the Shakespearean and theatrical references.
0: Mm -hmm.
3: He throws a lot of to be, he throws a couple of good to be or not to be in there for Hamlet. And definitely we get some good Shakespeare that, the only person else we would see stuff like this from would be Patrick Stewart. So definitely, I think that was a good part. We didn't—I agree—we didn't really have. We had some real good camaraderie opening, as we had in five of the crew being off offshore and spending time on vacation risk here it's like okay everybody back to their station or they're lost or they're on the, on this planet and having to go to Vulcan to kind of deal with Fox we didn't really have that in that
0: area.
3: Uh as we as we were talking about the gestures coming to dinner I heard the line but it was it felt almost like that was a throwaway line. It was just kind of thrown in there. It really wasn't poignant, and I kind of agree. You hearing that Michelle refused to say that line. But it's a decent movie. Not quite, I think, a score as the fans have for it. But it's worthy as part of Star Trek
4: collection.
2: What about you, Jim? Well, um, you know, like I said, I, I always, whenever I watch this movie, I, I think of my friend Kate. So that's um, both sad and happy at the same time. Uh, first of all, I just want to play something for you guys. This movie came out of the 25th anniversary of Star Trek, and if you guys remember. Um, what that was like. It was an opportunity, Maybe. something that they completely flushed down the toilet with Star Trek Beyond and the 50th anniversary. They, they blew it big time because if you remember the 25th anniversary, TV Guide did a special top 100 episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation marathon hosted by uh, uh, Jonathan Frakes. They had a special 25th anniversary uh, captain special that William Shatner did, which you guys can – I believe it's on Netflix right now. You can watch that. TV Guide had, oh, I don't know, 50 different Star Trek covers. Uh, a bunch. A bunch. If you go on uh, on eBay, you can find them all. They they, they There was a, a bunch of them. Let's leave it at that. And um, – They went all out for the 25th anniversary, big time. One of the first things that we saw for the 25th anniversary of Star Trek was the teaser trailer for Star Trek VI. And this is the teaser trailer. I'm going to play it for you guys because I love it so much.
4: For one quarter of a century, they have thrilled us with their adventures amazed us with their discoveries, and inspired us with their courage. Their ship has journeyed beyond imagination, her name has become legend, her crew the finest ever assembled. We have traveled beside them from one corner of the galaxy to the other. They have been our guides, our protectors. ...and our friends. Now you are invited to join them... ...for one last adventure. For at the end of history... ...lies... ...the undiscovered country. Star Trek Six the undiscovered country.
2: I love that trailer. You guys remember the trailer. The trailer is the end of Star Trek, the motion picture when the Enterprise flies over your head and warps out. And what they did was they overlaid scenes from all the Star Trek TV shows, which was awesome to see on the big screen. And of course, scenes from all the movies as the Enterprise flies over your head and we see from Space Seed and a phenomenal trailer so well done and it got you pumped for the 25th anniversary also that happens to be my first Star Trek convention I ran in September 28th and 29th of 1991 our local Fox station had a copy of the trailer for Star Trek 6 and we got to show it first at our convention the place went crazy when we showed it but there was something else that had, was going on simultaneously on TV at the same time, and that was what's going to happen to Patrick Stewart? Is he leaving Star Trek to become a board? That's right. Best of Both Worlds, Part Two. Same exact time. So everything kind of fell in place for Star Trek for the 25th anniversary. It was a great, great time to be a fan, and uh, my memories of that time are just just. Priceless to me. So Star Trek: Six, the undiscovered country. I was a little disappointed with the soundtrack. The one lady brought that up. I thought that the the soundtrack was was very on Trek-ish. Um, it didn't have that that uplifting feel. It didn't have that that sound of Star Trek Four, Star Trek Five, Star Trek the Motion Picture. It was very dark, very. Um, menacing, very military. It went very well with the Klingon motif because, you know, Klingons are, are military-based. But, um, you know, I would have liked a more more Star Trek-sounding theme song. But, but that didn't, it has grown on me over the years. So it doesn't really bother me as much anymore. And I, I have actually become very fond of it. The Klingon homeworld this is one of the problems I have with a lot of Star Trek, and that is it works good in the movie, but then they never come back to it. We never find out what happened. Uh, we go from Star Trek Six: Next Generation, they never mention the Klingon homeworld dying. They never What what happened in the movie is just completely ignored, never come back to it again. The, the homeworld that we see on TNG, Kronos, is that actually Kronos 2? Um, because... You, you know, like like we saw in Star Trek: Picard with the destruction of Romulus, and they ended up moving to Vulcan and renaming the planet Navarre. Uh, we they never dealt with the Klingons and the destruction of their homeworld ever. It, it, you see it in the movie Star Trek: Six, and then it just fades away and disappears like everything else on Star Trek, like Viger, like the Whale Probe, like Genesis. It just evaporates. It just goes away. It was a plot for a movie. We made the movie. Move on and forget about it. So I was a little bit upset that we never got to see the aftermath of that, unfortunately. But, again, not enough to make me, you know, get swayed from the movie. Of course, we have Kirk's death scene. You know, I remember all the the trailers show Kirk dying and, you know, Shatner's leaving. Shatner says, what? And, um... Yeah, he dies, but not really him. So they pulled the quick one on us. So that, that was pretty cool. Uh, not filming on the soundstage. I think this worked out for the better for Star Trek Six because, a, a, you know, a lot of the things we see in the movie are on location instead of on a soundstage, and that makes the movie have a better feel to it, kind of like, you know, Star Trek Four where they filmed on the streets of San Francisco. In this movie they 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 filmed on you know, on locations and not not in a lot of sets. The one thing I did notice about the movie and I, I can't help it is that the reuse of T N G sets. I mean when Scotty's on the on the in engineering, it's clearly the Enterprise D engineering set. And you know, we never saw a warp engine like that on the Enterprise A. And you know when when they're pulling out a space dock, and there they are on the Enterprise D engine room. I was like, really, really? I mean, that's the one where where um, where Worf shoots the Klingon, and he falls through the glass floor. Same same exact set. I was like, you know, I I, I kind of didn't like that. I was like, they could do better than that. Uh, I also was bothered by the fact that Michelle Nichols uh, is reading out of a book. Yeah, you yeah. know, I would have thought you know, they, <laughs> no they had the on, line. Man. Yeah, <laughs> they had the line while the universal translator, you know, would be detected. Yeah. Well, okay, well, somebody could have said it in Klingon, and it wouldn't have been detected. So, I mean, there was ways around it. Um, but I also want to point out something that a lot of people might not be aware of, if you're old like me, you probably are. But there's two versions of this movie. There's the theatrical cut and the director's cut, or the home video. I don't know what they call it, but the home video cut. Now, the home video cut, the director's cut, is currently not available. The
3: theatrical on- and director.
2: On-, on director, on Blu-ray. And it only has an additional two or three minutes in it, but they're crucial. One of the extra scenes that's not in the movie is when, when Gorkhan is dead and they make her his daughter, Azibor, the new chancellor, the, the, uh, the torpedo bay of the Enterprise where Scotty is counting every single torpedo by hand, and he's down there with Spock, and, and the, the lioness said, well, the, 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 the Klingon bitch didn't shed a bloody tear, and Spock says, highly logical, Mr. Scott, since Klingons don't have tear ducts. Um, So there's this little interaction there, which wasn't in the movie, but shows up in the video. But the biggest scene, and I remember noticing this when I went to the movies, they went out of their way to show that Klingon blood was pink. And when when the Klingon assassin, who turns out to be Colonel West, played by Odo, is killed, and he falls out the window, when they show the overhead aerial shot of him laying there, his head is surrounded by red blood. And I always remember seeing that and thinking, you know, they went so far out of their way to tell us that Klingon blood is pink. And then they have the biggest mistake of all, and they have this dead body laying in a pool of red blood. Makes no sense. Big mistake. But it wasn't a mistake because there's one additional scene, that, and I don't know why they cut this out, where uh, Colonel Worf walks up and he says, This is not Klingon blood. And, you know, they pull the mask off. Well, why wouldn't you put that in the movie? Why would you cut that out? I don't understand. But at any rate, (laughs) that's my take on the whole thing. And the Klingon blood, this is a big debate. Now, originally, when they had Red Blood, the movie was rated R. And they didn't want an R-rated Star Trek movie. And they felt that these pools of blood, of red blood floating through the air and blowing people's arms off and blowing their guts out, and blood everywhere, was too violent for a Star Trek movie. And to have all this blood and, and gore floating around was too much. Rated R. They did not want an R-rated movie. So what did they do? How did they fix that? They just changed the blood to pink. Boom. PG rating funny how that happens isn't it and that's why I clean up was mm-hmm. is pink so you know, overall though i really enjoyed the movie i thought that christopher Plummer did a phenomenal job um, as as chang i think his, his quotes are just, are great i think he's a great foil for kirk valris i'm not really too keen on her um but Kim Cottrell did the best with what she was given to work with. And being the last movie, seeing, seeing Sulu as captain of the Excelsior was awesome. And if you remember the episode of Voyager Flashback, when it takes Captain Sulu so long to get back to the Enterprise to save the Enterprise, well, we know why. He had a run-in with Kang. Yes, that's right, Kang. And, uh, which is a little fills in what took him so long to get there, which was cool. Um, yeah, so overall, I enjoyed this movie. I have a lot of a lot of happy and a lot of sad memories about this movie. We did attend the Sit Long and Prosper when they showed all the movies back to back to back to back to back to back to back. And I did have George Takei sign a Star Trek 6 poster for me at the premiere, and it says, to Jim, some of my best friends are Klingons," because I was dressed up as a Klingon. Go figure. Still have that poster hanging on my wall, one of my prized possessions. So, uh, overall, I enjoyed this movie. It's up there with my favorite Star Trek movies. Um,
3: okay, I like all
2: the... Let me, throw one...
3: Let me throw one more thing in. We talk about some of the Romulan hatred in Picard. But if you look at how you had people that were willing to support the Klingons, and people that were opposing with the on. We had the same issue with the Romulans. that some people yeah. were very jealous and thought that the Romulans should die in it. And the last best hope. And a little bit in the uh, Dark Veil, vale. I think you get a better understanding of why we had, why there was such an issue with the Romulans and Picard because that was a big yeah, the, point which we were helping yeah, the Romulans and we turned our backs on them
2: well even even the line even by when, when Spock says only Nixon can go to China and Kirk says let them die and mm-hmm. you know it, it brings a lot of, of Kirk's hatred for the Klingons to the surface and Spock's unable to understand that one of the best parts of the movie, though, I think is in the beginning when it says for Gene Roddenberry, and yeah. the signatures at the end is the best send off ever and I did read a story about that, and when they were doing the send off originally they wanted they wanted they went to William Shatner and they wanted him to sign it. As James T. Kirk and William Shatner refused and signed William Shatner and so they left it and had all of, the, all of the actors signed as themselves rather than as their characters what do you guys think? Do you think it would have been a better send off if they had signed it as their characters or do you like it the way it is with the actors signing off? What do you think?
0: I think oh, it's I way I mean, better with the, the actors
3: all, the, all, the actors doing it because it's it's more of a, fan, it's a, it's a big autograph, and it's thank you to the fans. I yeah. it's a bit of homage to fans wanting those autographs. Yeah, absolutely. we do yeah, have absolutely. all those autographs yeah. digital. Yeah, for really me, right it was right a real those you get, you, get, you get an item that's has got all the original cast with autographs, that thing is worth quite a bit because you cannot get those autographs anymore. On almost right. the actors.
1: Yeah, I I completely agree. I think it was a perfect send-off for that movie. Um, And, you know, I will say that I do think that – I know you were a little sour on Valeris, Jim, but I actually think Valeris is pretty good in this movie in that I think that she's kind of a, a mirror to Kirk. You know, Kirk is extremely xenophobic towards the Klingons. His own words are used against him. We just talked about all that. Um, Valeris is pretty xenophobic, too, but she comes at it from a logical standpoint and While we never get to explore why that is, I think there is a line of logic whereby her her arguments and the reasons that she did the things that she did could be justified by logic um, and I think that we see that even in today 's society. Some people are using logic uh, of a certain type to you know justify being disparaging towards others and so I don't think it's that out of character to have a Vulcan be racist. You know, I think she, I think she actually did that fairly well. Uh, I just don't think we got enough of her in the movie to understand why. And that was kind of like, if she, if they had given her just a little bit more character development, we may have, have understood that, but the movie had to keep moving. Right. Uh, I, that was the one thing that I noticed. One of the things that I noticed on rewatch was that it, it moves fairly quickly. Um, and I don't think they had a lot of time for extra character development with her.
2: No. So, Eric, on a scale of 1 to 10, our our fans scored at 9.2. What would you score it, Eric?
1: I don't think I could go quite that high, but I think that I could probably give this movie a solid 8.2. Uh, it is it is very good, uh, but it has a lot of flaws that, that you know we've talked about tonight. Some, so I'll give it an eight point two.
2: Eight point two. How about you? What do you think, Charles? You're going to agree with our fans or disagree?
3: Um, I'm going to agree with one of our fans. I'll say a seven point two.
2: Seven point two.
3: Potential. We lost a lot in it.
2: Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not quite with the fans, but I'm pretty close with the fans. Um, yeah, the, the, I, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna go with a nine on this movie. I think. Okay, I, I like all of the TOS movies, and I like them all for different reasons. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna go with a nine. The fans gave it a
3: nine point two,
2: so so that's pretty cool. So uh, that wraps up our show for this week, guys, believe it or not. But we're going to be back next week, and we're going to talk about Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, another Nicholas Meyer movie, by the way, and a movie that I think a lot of fans consider to be the best Star Trek movie. I wonder if it'll score higher than 9.2. You'll have to tune in next week and find out. So, um, I want to take this opportunity to say thank you to everybody who's listening, no matter where you are or how you're listening, whether you're listening to us live right now or you're listening on Stitcher or iTunes or Spotify or Amazon or any other iHeartRadio. Doesn't matter. We appreciate your support. And uh, thank you very much. And I want to say thank you to my co-host. Thank you very much to Eric for hanging out and Trek talking with us tonight. Thank you very much, Eric. Oh, I
1: mean, I had a great time, as always. Thank you, guys.
2: And happy birthday to Karen, and enjoy your uh, Italian feast when we get off the air.
1: Thank you. I'm looking forward to it. It smells
2: delicious. (laughs) And also, thank you to Charles for hanging out and Trek talking with us tonight. Thank you, Charles.
3: Oh, you're very welcome. I was going to agree with you and give a happy birthday to Eric's wife. Not an Italian, but I bet... Uh, I guess you. I guess you like Italian,
0: right? Mm. A, do
2: you like Italian?
0: Yes, I love it. Absolutely.
2: Do you? No. Yes. No. Yes. No.
3: Yes, I love it. <laughs> so do you?
2: Yes. It's a good stuff. <laughs> One of my favorite scenes from Star Trek Four. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's that. so my good. reference
3: right there with that one.
2: That was a great one. And, of course, uh, i got to say thank you, extra thank you to Charles, because last week Charles and I had to hold down the fort without Eric, but our good friend Shannon called in and helped us muddle our way through it without Eric. So thank you to Shannon for hanging out with us uh, last week and uh, filling that void left by Eric. So I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, saying thank you, thank you so, so much. Please visit us on Facebook at Trek Talking, a podcast. And let us know where you're listening from. And if you see a heart next to your name, that means you've been chosen and you'll hear your name given on a fan shout-out in the future. Also, we're no longer doing Stunt Treks with myself and the Leslie Hoffman because I'm at camp every weekend. So I'm not home on Sunday to do the podcast. And Leslie really misses the whole thing and talking Star Trek with you guys. So if you have a moment, please head over to the Leslie Hoffman Appreciation Organization Facebook page. And just say hello to Leslie and let them know you're thinking of her and you miss Stunt Trek. So we'll be back before you know it. And, and just in the meantime, just say hello to Leslie. She really misses all of you guys. And uh, let's see, we're going to be, yeah, we have a special book look coming up on May 27th. We're going to be talking about the new Star Trek Picard novel, Dark Veil. Vale. So run out and get a copy or download a copy and give it a quick read so that you can join us on the 27th when we review the book. Anyways, that wraps up the show for the night. I want to say thank you and good night to everybody. Please be good to each other and stay safe out there. Healing frequencies are closed. Good night, everybody.
3: Good night, y'all. So long and prosper.
2: Can we go already? Yes, fine.
0: Engage. That's chumbacasino.com.
1: No purchase necessary. BDW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. Eighteen plus.